That was actually very sovereign uh, of God to do that, I think, because, well, or of us, uh, because the Old Testament reading is what I want to start with this morning. Um, but before we do that, today is a number of things. It's the fifth day of the new year. Happy New Year. Oh, very good. Um, it's also the 12th day of Christmas. Did you know that? Yeah, that's exciting. Um, but I was trying to remember in the song, what is the 12th day of, what is the gift on the 12th day of Christmas? Drummers drumming? Okay, so 12 drummers drumming, then 11. Pipers piping. Oh, so, so 12 drummers drumming, 11 pipers piping, 10 lords a-leaping, 9 ladies dancing, 8 maids a-milking, 7 swans a-swimming, 6 geese a-laying, Okay, I expected something a little different there, but that's okay. I didn't give him much warning. That, that, was, that was quick. Let's do it again. Five golden rings. Oh, I like that better. Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a... All right, you've got the 12 days of Christmas. So, um, but it's also, it's a new year. And that's important. So when you hear the word beginning... What comes to mind during this season? Most of us think of the new year with lists of resolutions, a collection of dues, a pile of plans, or perhaps you think of significant new years in the past. Remember the year 2000? With its predictions of impending doom, computer crashes, planes falling out of the sky, catastrophic interruptions of essential services like power, water, donuts, Okay, maybe not donuts. I'm always worried about where my next donut is coming from. When I consider beginnings, though, I usually think of the beginning of the school year. And perhaps that's because I've spent most of my life in school of one kind or another. K through 12, college, two master's degrees, a PhD, and 22 years of teaching at John Brown University. But one school year stands out. I was going into the sixth grade, and my family had just moved to Seattle. I didn't know anyone, and it was my first year of junior high. Seriously, what a terrible time to move. Anybody here in junior high? Anybody in junior high? Wouldn't it be bad to move right now? It would be awful. But your parents love you, and they won't do that. Right? Right, they won't. I, I, won't, I won't say about anything about my parents. Um, but seriously, what a terrible time to move. So mom, trying to be helpful, took me downtown to the Squire shop to do some back-to-school shopping. Now, the name Squire Shop should have been ample warning, but somehow I walked out of the store with a powder blue, brushed denim leisure suit with bell-bottom pants and a big-collared polyester shirt with the skyline of Paris across the front. Nice. So on the first day of school, I showed up wearing my snazzy new powder blue leisure suit, but to my horror, everyone else was wearing Levi's and T-shirts. My student ambassador introduced me to the class saying I was from Alaska. Actually, I was from Bellingham, just two hours north of Seattle. And when I, when I asked Myra, my student ambassador, why she introduced me that way, she said, when I saw how you were dressed, I thought you must be from Alaska. 
Apparently, she didn't think much of the fashion scene in Alaska. But beginnings are important. And the writers of today's scripture readings both start with the phrase, in the beginning. Let's pray before we jump in. Heavenly Father, you are the God of new beginnings and old beginnings. We pray that you would begin a new work in us this morning. Kindle a flame that lights up this congregation and spreads to our friends and neighbors. Help us to be lights that shine in the darkness so that many would be drawn to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, if you would, please turn to Genesis 1, which we just heard read. And keep a thumb also in John 1. We'll be going back and forth quite a bit. So Genesis 1 and John 1. The Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus and writer of the fourth gospel, three letters, and the book of Revelation, clearly had Genesis 1 in mind when he wrote his gospel. He starts in the beginning, just as we heard Genesis begins. There are a number of parallels between these two passages. Both start with, in the beginning, both discuss creation, and both include the light and darkness motif. I will discuss some of those parallels, but we'll leave some of that to you to investigate on your own. It really is interesting. As we look at Genesis 1, 1 to 19, and John 1, 1 to 14 this morning, I want, you to, I want to draw your attention to two big ideas, identity and mission. First, the identity and mission of God. Genesis 1, 1 starts, in the beginning, God. The very first words in the Bible proclaim the unique identity of God. The Hebrew word for God is Elohim in Genesis 1. Yahweh in Genesis 2. Elohim is the general word for God, and there is no idea here of other gods. The God of Genesis is never one among many, but simply God. The Hebrew people often lived among those who worshipped other gods, but correct belief, orthodoxy, recognized only one God. That's what we mean by monotheism. These first words, in the beginning, God, also proclaim the eternal nature of God. Before anything else is, God was. God didn't just emerge out of the story of history. He was not caused by anything or created by anyone. In the words of the 13th century philosopher Thomas Aquinas, God is the uncaused first cause. If you line up a bunch of dominoes, God is the one who knocks down the first dominoes, and then they all start to fall. But God is the uncaused first cause. At the outset, Genesis starts with the idea that God has no beginning because he has always been. And God's mission. What did God do? Genesis 1-1 goes on. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. As we learned in the children's sermon, God made everything that is on this world and everything in the heavens, what we call space. I talked briefly with the kids about our sun and said that if the earth was a golf ball, then the earth would be the size of a big yellow school bus. Another star in our galaxy 
is twice, uh, Betelgeuse, Betelgeuse is twice the size, not of our sun, but twice, of, twice the size of the Earth's rotation, the Earth's orbit around the sun. Betelgeuse is twice the size of Earth's orbit around the sun. Another, but that's not the biggest. Um, oh, and Betelgeuse, we said, oh, if the Earth was a golf ball and the sun is the size of a school bus, how big would Betelgeuse be? If the Earth is a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the size of not 10, not 20 school buses, but 700 school buses full of golf balls. That's a lot of golf balls. By the way, that's exactly the number of golf balls I have lost in my life <laughs> playing golf. So another star, Musifi. If the Earth is a golf ball, then Musifi would be as wide as two Golden Gate bridges laid end to end. Okay, that got nothing. You need to go to San Francisco, see the Golden Gate Bridge, think about two Golden Gate bridges, and that would be about three and a half miles of golf balls, or approximately 2.7 quadrillion golf balls. Now, some of you think I just made that number up, which I didn't. Okay, so get this. What's a quadrillion? Um, let's start with a million. A million seconds ago... Oh, wait, first of all, okay, so if we know that uh, if a million, you got a million, right? You can, you can kind of think of a million, maybe. Um, a thousand million is a billion. A thousand billion is a trillion, and a thousand trillion is a quadrillion. Okay, so to get the sense of the scale of that number, a million seconds ago was 12 days ago. A million seconds, 12 days ago. I can wrap my head around that. Million seconds, 12 days ago. A billion seconds ago, hmm, last summer? No, not last summer, not a year ago, but September 1978. I was a junior in high school in 1978. That was a billion seconds ago. A trillion seconds ago. Uh, Civil War? Nope. Christopher Columbus? Nope. 29,700 B.C. is a trillion seconds ago. Yeah. A quadrillion seconds ago, 30,800,000 years ago. That's a quadrillion seconds ago. Musifi would hold 2.7 quadrillion Earths, and it is still not the biggest. My favorite is Canis Majoris. It's the second biggest, and it's still not the biggest. Oh, no, that's the second biggest, and it means the big dog star, Canis Majoris. The, isn't that great? The big dog star. <laughs> yeah. If the Earth is a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be as tall as, wait for it, Mount Everest. If the Earth is a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be as tall as Mount Everest, the highest point on Earth. Or to put it another way, it would hold enough golf balls to cover the state of Texas, 22 inches deep. That's a lot of golf balls. All right. <laughs> and what's cool about this, our God made all those stars. 
Our God is awesome. I mean, this is when you break out in, our God is an awesome God. I mean, that's a lot of golf balls, a lot of earths. That's huge. And our God made all those things. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Pastor Louis Giglio, who had been stealing a lot of these ideas from, says this, We have a star-breathing God. Yet he still cares for you and me. He made all those amazing stars and then put us on a planet that's just the right distance from the sun. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. In fact, astronomers call it the Goldilocks zone. We're in that place that's not too hot, not too cold. In fact, in our galaxy, we're in the Goldilocks zone. Not too far from the center, not too close to the center. God made us perfectly for where we are in the universe. Second, the identity and mission of Jesus. In his gospel, John echoes the iconic words of Genesis in the beginning to provide a crystal clear reference to Genesis 1 and to God's eternal nature. Then he links that idea to Jesus, saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John introduces the second person of the Godhead, not with genealogies, angels, shepherds, or a manger like some other Gospels, but as the eternal Word who was with God in the beginning. In the IVP commentary on John, Rodney Whitaker writes, the first verse of John is carefully written to refer to the personal distinctiveness, yet essential oneness of the word with God. Hear that again. The personal distinctness, yet the essential oneness of the word with God. He goes on, if we want to understand who Jesus is, John says we must begin with the relationship shared between the Father and the Son before the world began. Both the Father and the Son share a divine, eternal nature, thus having no beginning. This idea was later affirmed and clarified in the Council of Nicaea in 325. All you church history majors, yay. That council stated that Christians, what Christians had always believed, that the Son of God was eternal, not created. The council was convened to correct the wrong teachings of Arius, a persuasive figure in the early church who had, un- unfortunately, had proclaimed that the Son of God was a created being and not an eternal being. According to Arius, there was a time when Christ was not. There was a time without the word. But Athanasius, the bishop of Alexandria, stood up for the traditional understanding of Christ, and eventually the whole council rejected Arius and stated the doctrine now memorialized in the Nicene Creed, which we will say later in the service. But the part about Jesus in the Nicene Creed says, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten, Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light from light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made man. Did you notice how many ideas about Christ can be drawn right from that creed? And how many, I mean, how many ideas in the creed can be traced back to John? Clearly, the church affirmed the divine eternal nature of both the Father and the Son. 
Now the mission of God the Son. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. No golf balls, no school buses, no earths, no suns. John tells us in verse 14, and here's the inescapable reference to the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. He continues in verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only begotten, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. He became like us so that we could know God and by grace through faith, follow Christ and spend eternity with him. That's what Christ has done for us. That's what his mission was, to help us know God in a way we couldn't possibly have known him before, and not only to know God, but have faith in him and live with him eternally, both now and then. Third, the identity and mission of John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew who he was and who he wasn't. He knew who he was because his father, Zechariah, was visited by an angel before John was even born. In Luke 1.14, we read the angel's words to Zechariah. You will give him the name John, which means God is gracious. He will be a joy to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. Who was Elijah? A prophet, thank you. He's a prophet. And so what do we learn about John in verses 6 through 8, which we did not read this morning? John contrasts the identity of Jesus with, oh, where did I go? The prophet part. Oh, it's still coming. Sorry, it's still coming. John 1, 6 through 8, which we did not read this morning aloud, this, this morning contrasts with the identity of Jesus with the identity of John the Baptist. Jesus is the divine word who becomes a man. John is just a man. An important man, but just a man. Jesus is the light, while John the Baptist is a witness to the light. John knew who he was, but also who he wasn't. The mission of John the Baptist. When John was born, Zechariah prophesied, saying, And you, my child, will be called a, oh, there it is, a prophet, a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. John knew who he was called, what he was called to do, and he knew what he wasn't called to do. He was called to be a prophet, a witness to testify about the Lord and to prepare a way for the Lord, but he wasn't called to do the things that only Jesus would do. As we begin this new year, what is your identity? Who did God make you to be? The Apostle John reminds us in verse 10 and 11 that the world... And Jesus' own people did not recognize him or receive him when he came. But to those who do receive him, it says, and believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. What would it look like for you to receive him today? Today, this fifth day of the new year, this twelfth day of Christmas, this day on which we will celebrate communion in a few moments, a few moments, 
What would it look like for you to receive him today? Maybe you've never received him. You can do that today. Right here, right now, you can admit that you have rebelled against God and gone your own way, that you have disobeyed God and tried to live without him. Next, simply say to Jesus, who has been seeking you, that you believe that he truly is the divine son of God who became like you and died for you so that you could live in a relationship with God. Then gratefully accept the gift of God's grace as you realize that you can never earn it on your own. And finally, tell someone what has happened today so they can connect you with someone who can help you learn and grow. Or maybe you've already accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've been keeping him at arm's length and not letting him have his way in your life. How can you receive him today? Well, you can admit your stubbornness to him and ask him to melt your hard heart and begin a new work in you today. Finally, what is your mission? In one sense, we've all, we all have the same mission. We are all called to walk as Jesus walked. By grace, obeying God and worshiping him in everything we do. That is our Christian vocation. I often tell my students who are freaking out about their future to start doing the obvious things. Take on the projects that are right in front of you. As you do those things, ask God to guide you. Journal about who he made you to be. Think about your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your aptitudes, your personality, and your experiences. And then trust God to work in your life. I promise you, he will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for creating this universe. Thank you for putting us in the perfect spot in this universe. And more importantly, thank you for allowing us to be in the perfect spot in relationship to you. That you sent your son to be our savior so that we might know you and worship you forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.